2: Monday to Friday, 9am till 12pm. This is Today with Kino Kamis on Cape Talk. So Dr. Chris Smith, what a pleasure. Great having you back, Chris.
1: Morning, Kino. No homework this week, so uh, no, no, no. I, I, I'm, I'm early for class and I've done all my homework, which I didn't have, which is <laughs> a good place to be, isn't it? I trust you and the family a while. Yeah, everything's going okay. I mean, obviously, unsettled times again, because we're seeing these big resurgences of coronavirus cases across countries, right across Europe, across the UK. We've got universities seeing very big surges in cases now. Glasgow University have got 600 students quarantining because 124 of them so far have tested positive for infection. Universities have only been back a short while. Many other universities, including my own Cambridge University, start back at the beginning of October. So obviously it's tense times because it's been very disruptive for young people's educations. We all thought hopefully things are going to improve and everything's going to settle down. Now this is all kicking off again. So another disrupted academic year possibly in the making. Let's hope not.
2: Yeah. And if one talks about what brought the resurgence about, and we know Europe in and of itself, chatting to people at Deutsche Welle and elsewhere, Uh, There's obviously a huge concern about the resurgence, but could this be directly related to the summer season that everybody's coming off and the fact that people are more relaxed when they're at the beach? You know, as a matter of fact, I took my little one to the beach yesterday and uh, just to go and get his, uh, you know, feet wet and have a little bit of fun. And, um, you know, I'd say 80 percent of people on the beach did not wear their masks.
1: Well when you're outside it's it's quite a different matter and the risk mm. of transmission outside is very very low it's actually persistent prolonged contact at close proximity Inside, which is where the vast majority of transmission events occur so i 'm less concerned about people uh, being outside than being inside. in fact, we are actively over the summer months we were encouraging people outside as much as possible that 's the best place to be get some exercise, get some fresh air, and as long as you 're a reasonable distance from other people and we 're using two meters as the threshold but of course, remember viruses don 't have tape measures, so the the farther away, the better really, then the risk is very, very low it 's when you 're indoors that you 've got the big problem because especially, you know, the northern hemisphere is going into wintertime. People are retreating indoors. The weather's closing in. They're closing the doors, closing the windows and sharing air. And this is how it's going to transmit. But you ask, you know, why do we think we've had these resurgences? I think there's a few factors. And one of them is an element of complacency. You're right. People are thinking, oh, we've got this behind us. It's all improved We can just let our guard down a bit. And the World Health Organization used those very words, people dropping their guard. But it's a mere fact that we've eased restrictions. If you if you ease a lockdown, you reestablish contacts between people and it's those contacts the virus exploits to spread. And and so you see resurgences and and every country across Europe has seen this. Many countries in the world are seeing this, even countries with a, a record of being a paragon of pandemic control in the past.
2: Yes, that's true. And uh, it's something we, we just need to keep an eye on that. I mean, we've done reasonably well. Everybody thought we'd be going to hell in a hand basket. Of course, people have uh, lost lives in South Africa. We wonder whether the tally versus the infection rate, because I think we were in the top five in the, in the world. But our death rate was super, super low out of kilter with a, a, a lot of the other countries. So one wonders whether the reporting was done correctly. Um, but, you know, now that we've gotten it under control, in inverted commas, we have to be so, so careful about a second wave. But let's let's go move on to some calls. I've got Natva in Crawford. How are you doing? Good morning, Kino. How are you? Always good, sir. Thank you for yeah, asking.
0: Nice to hear you. Hilarious one for doctor.
2: What can we do to you? I
0: want to give you a nice hilarious one. Right, we have a house with five couples living in it. The first couple is an English couple. They only speak English. They have a baby about four or five months old. The second couple is a French couple. They only speak French. The third couple is a German couple. They speak only German. The fourth couple is an Indian couple. They only speak Indian languages. The first couple is a Kosa couple. They speak only Kosa. Now, every day they cuddle the baby, they play with the baby. They all stay together, and they play with the baby. So now after a couple of years, say four or five years, will the baby be able to speak all those languages?
1: <laughs> it depends. <laughs> uh, it, it's certainly true that when you are little, you have a brain like no other. You have a brain that is literally a sponge. Well, it's not literally a sponge because then you would be a sea creature, but it behaves like a sponge. It's really good at soaking up information and absorbing that information and educating itself. But then something happens after a few years and your brain starts to become much more rigid. And as a result, you start to need a professional educator and a teacher to help you learn stuff most of the time. So take advantage when you're little is, is, the, is the motto of the story. In, in the case of learning a language... You are, when you're immersed in a language from a very young age, you do pick it up. And it's certainly possible for individuals to learn multiple languages in this way. And, and I certainly have friends who uh mixed race families where you might have, say, a Chinese person married to an English person and the baby gets spoken to in both languages. Uh, and in some cases you get that sort of arrangement, but they're in a foreign country to both of them, so there's a third language in play as well, and the baby encounters all of them and develops a sort of smattering of understanding. You generally find there that one language is the one that tends to be favoured because it's the one that probably gets spoken the most uh, between the couples and and the child. But certainly, if you've got the opportunity to learn that language from the get-go like this, you will master that language and have the ability to speak it like no one else. Because not only will you understand it well, not only will you be able to produce it well, you'll sound like the real deal. Because that's the other giveaway. You know, I, I can speak French, but French people, the minute they hear me open my mouth, know exactly where I come from. <laughs> in the, you know, I haven't mastered the accent, put it that way, but I can get a, get along. Um, but if I'd started when I was younger, it's almost certain that I would have been able to use that very plastic element in my brain to have learned to speak it and sound like the real deal as well as know the words. So the answer is, yes, it's perfectly possible if that baby was immersed in that language enough each day for long enough, then they they would, in each of those five different languages, then they would become proficient in them. And there are people who are like that.
2: Phenomenal. All I can say, Chris, is... uh, Est-ce que vous comprenez l'anglais?
1: Merci. Tu parles bien, le français. That wasn't a bad accent, was it?
2: (laughs) Not bad at all. (laughs) So we are taking calls for... Doctor Chris Smith, the naked scientist. So you've been you know, wandering through life, trying to stay away from retrenchments and covert and all the rest of it, and then something happens and you wonder I wonder why that happens. I really wonder. Maybe I should call doctor Chris Smith on a Friday between nine thirty and ten. Well this is your time. You pick up the phone, you give us a call on O two one double four six O five six seven. And WhatsApp at 0725671567. Deborah's in Pinelands. Hi, Deborah.
0: Hi there. How are you guys?
2: Always good, thanks.
0: That's good. You know what I've been discovering when I buy a toilet gel? The one consistency might be very thin and the other one's very thick. And I find out what is the actual consistency supposed to have to make it a gel.
1: Uh, hi, Deborah. I just use... Yeah, I, I know more. exactly what you mean, um, and yeah. the the reason they add these things, and they add various thickening agents. They can include things like um, methyl celluloses and things, big molecules that are like long chains of spaghetti that struggle to slide over each other, so they have a thickening effect. And when you add these things, the by by thickening the stuff up and adding a nice colour to make it look nice and bright and blue, for example, it makes it look like you've done a huge, impressive job of cleaning because you can really see the benefits of your labour as this stuff glues itself around the inside of your toilet pan and, and then you think, well, that was good, I'll buy that again. So it's not a given just because it's thick and sticky. It's doing a very good job because the runny stuff also might just go flying down the surface and then dilute the water at the bottom of the toilet make it all smell very nice but it hasn't actually clung to the sides and, and bleached off the muck or the stains so the, the rationale behind making them thicker and stickier is that the bleaching agent that's in there it's usually a hypochlorite is in contact with the porcelain for longer because if the stuff is thicker and less runny it should stay in contact with the porcelain for longer and that should mean the bleaching action which includes the germ killing action but also the stain removal and the decalcifying effect that that's in there that will work for a bit longer and so i would go for the thicker one if you can because a it, it will it will look impressive but b it probably will stick onto the surface for a bit longer and achieve all of the above the more runny ones They're useful for getting into places that the thick ones don't want to go. So if you've got hard-to-access nooks and crannies that you're trying to clean, a runnier liquid obviously is going to spray and splatter a bit more, which means it's more likely to access those areas... But it's not going to dwell on the surface for quite as long. So the bleaching effect on the surface might be more limited. So you might have to get busy with your scrubbing brush a bit, watching your eyes, of course, to make sure that you get the same effect. Because all the bleach has gone in the water at the bottom of the loo. And if you dip the brush in there, then you can hook the bleach out and rub it onto the sides of the loo. But, you know, not quite as practical. So it's horses for courses. Different bleaches for different purposes. But if it's just to make the the toilet smell and look nice and, and clean it up quickly, I'd go for the thicker one.
2: Brilliant. That certainly settles it for me as well. I was thinking about that, actually. So thank you very much for that one. Let's go to Frida. Frida's in Belleville. How are you doing, Frida?
0: Uh, I'm doing fine. i got this question that's been worrying me. I notice that when I buy fruit, it's got so much of different fruit mixed together. I mean, I don't know why they do it, Natchies have become almost oranges, but what is the purpose?
2: Oh. And do they
0: retain their vitamins? Do they get more of the other, or how does it work?
2: Okay, so the... So, um, so, no, it okay. sounds
0: like a silly question, but... No, it I- isn't.
2: Um, you know, when you get all these different variations of Narcissus, et etc., some are easy to peel, others aren't, and... I don't know, I don't know. Chris? <laughs> um, Frida, are you, are you talking
1: about when you have the fruit and it's on the shelf of a shop and so you've got the different unpeeled uh, varieties or types of fruits all, all mixed up together or are you talking about when you buy a mixed fruit in a tin for example
2: uh, she's, she's, she's talking about um, she's left now but I, 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 what, what I've just gone from what she said is these new varieties of fruit that they're coming up with Okay. So it's almost a cross pollination if it were of fruit and she wants to know with all of this whatever it is they're doing, like a Klemonachi, I don't know, if yeah. you can find something like that, and does it retain its nutrients?
1: Yeah. Well the answer is that um that It almost certainly will, because fruit is fruit, and fruit is good for you on many, many levels. And it contains a whole range of vitamins, and you only need those at at low concentrations because your body only needs small amounts of them for them to be beneficial. And and it's certain that if if you're eating fruits, then there will be lots of B vitamins in there vitamin c in there as well and lots of soluble fiber and this is the other really big benefit of eating plenty of fruit is that the soluble fibers in there are really good for the health of your intestine because they keep things moving but they also feed your microbiome the community of microorganisms that live in the intestine and you're you know they say you never eat alone even if you dine for one because you've got about 37 trillion microorganisms living in your guts that also contribute to the banquet and they see your lunch in some cases before you do and so they make a very important contribution to uh, the sorts of chemicals washing around in your bloodstream because they digest things that you can't and turn them into important other chemicals that are in the bloodstream that, that have beneficial effects across the body so breeding new new varieties of fruits can be very beneficial you can breed ones that people want to eat and if they taste nicer they've got better flavors they're perhaps a bit sweeter which appeals to some people more people will eat more fruit more of the time, and that means their health is overall probably going to be better. You can also breed into these these things characteristics like longer shelf life, better resistance against insect attacks so you use fewer chemicals and if you use fewer chemicals that means you're going to have to spend less water washing the chemicals off and also that's better for the environment anyway so there's a whole range of reasons why these sort of selective breeding programs are beneficial and they also breed fruits that look more interesting and they can taste more interesting and again this is more likely to attract people towards embracing a healthy lifestyle and i'm saying this with an eye on the fact that it's going to be world vegetarian day quite soon and i'm actually going to make a program about the uh, health benefits or not to to dig into some of the what's myths and what's reality of, of embracing vegetarian living and also what it does to the health of the planet as well so i'll, I'll give you some feedback if that's the right word to use to take another wonderful. food word uh, in a week or so
2: absolutely wonderful it's got a taff since centurion are you listening to us all the way from centurion Taft? good to have you on the show
0: Morning, everyone. Morning, Dr. Chris. I'm a big fan. Morning, um, I just want to ask, absolute zero on the Kelvin scale, um, has there been a quantum physics proof um, which supports that number? Because I know it was developed, I think, in the 1700s, 1800s. But with quantum physics now, um, has anyone been able to prove uh, absolute zero, you know, at the molecular level, to say that that's but
1: we can't go beyond that temperature. Yeah. This is minus 273 degrees C or zero Kelvin. And this is the point at which every bit of motion stops. It's impossible to get to absolute zero because as soon as you take all the energy away, the gradient is there, is so strong, pushing energy back in, that you get fractions of, of a degree of, of energy go back in. It's, so it's impossible to get to absolute zero, but you can get very, very close. And strange things start to happen when you get there. And the one of the strangest is this thing called a Bose-Einstein condensate. And this was originally proposed, theoretically, that this would happen. And, and what happens, basically, is because... Everything has the same level of, of energy. They go. They, they they all begin to behave as one. So all the particles lock into step. It's almost like an army marching in, in rhythm, in sequence, and you get this Bose-Einstein condenser with very bizarre characteristics. So yes, that there's both um, theoretical um, proof that this will have, that there is this this limit, and that strange things happen when you approach this limit. And there's also the practical. Observation: People are doing the experiments and they're doing this and making these uh, interesting forms and states of matter to demonstrate that, that uh, the theories are correctly predicting reality. So, yes, we're comfortable that when you get to minus 273 degrees C or zero Kelvin that's the lowest temperature you can go not true in the opposite direction there you can keep Mm. adding energy to things and as you add energy to things it it, uh, gets hotter and hotter more energetic and effectively more massive so uh, effectively you can you just keep on making it harder and harder to make it any hotter but it's it's possible to keep adding energy but you can't keep taking energy away
2: taff great question by the way do you listen to cape talk regularly yeah i listen online yeah Okay, cool, man. Listen, thanks for the question. Hey? Uh, let's move on to, to Ron. Ron's in Kirsten. Off. Hi, Ron.
1: Morning, uh, um, Chris. Um, thanks very much. Very good program. Really enjoy it. My question is, I don't know if you've had this before, how is it possible
0: for the media houses, including radio and TV, to tell with any degree of accuracy uh, how many listeners or viewers they have at any one time?
1: Uh, my point is, how do you know at cape talk that i'm tuned to cape talk that's my question (laughs) uh cape talk would love to know that you're tuned to cape talk ron the answer is um (laughs) and and it will probably shock you in the old days and by old days i mean up until about five years ago and and in some cases it's still going on uh, the main means of gauging an audience was by diary exercise so organisations would distribute to a population that they thought was representative of the total listenership and they would ask them to write down what they listened to or watched and when and for how long now you can imagine this is you know any statistician hearing that is going to have an absolute apoplectic fit and go my goodness how inaccurate is that going to be the answer is very inaccurate but what it does do is, if you keep doing this regularly, you've got the same inaccuracies and noisiness every time you do the survey. And so the noisiness cancels out from one survey to the next. And it's the trend that tells you something. And so, if an audience is growing, that growth is useful to know. If an audience is dropping, which would never happen on this show, of course, then you're going to see that trend again. So it's the trend that's your friend, but the absolute numbers are noisy and you have to be very careful about them. There is no big brother thing going on where you're able to spy on people through their radio or television and know this. But that is changing because via the routes that people are now listening, we just heard from Taff in Centurion, all the way, you know, a long way away, the other end of the country. If you're listening online, your IP address of your computer is being logged. And so Mm. you can tell geographically where people are, you can tell what they're listening to, and you can listen, you can see how long they listen for. If you download podcasts, you can see where people are, you can even see what sort of device they're using when they download a program. And even if you're using some apps, it will work out how long you listened before you got bored and switched over or skipped the ads and so on. And some smart television systems now even have cameras and microphones in them that they're using to work out viewer engagement. And that means if you're watching the telly, it can use eye tracking to work out that you are watching the telly. You haven't just got it on in the background. It can use the fact that you are or aren't talking to your friends in the room. You are attending to what's on the screen or shouting at the television to protest about what's on the news or something. They can tell all that. So it is changing, and the ability to do accurate audience monitoring is becoming much more fine-grained, much more accurate, and that means that some programs are becoming winners, some programs are becoming losers. But uh, hopefully that will ultimately translate into better programs because it enables program makers to know what bits of programs really got people's attention and that they really liked and what bits of programs people found less engaging, and then hopefully they'll make fewer of those sorts of programs in future.
2: Ron, I tell you, it's something we ask ourselves on a regular basis, so thank you very much for raising that. Let's go to, uh, I think I've got Gisla. Gisla and an Hi there.
0: Yes, hi. I want to know, why does it happen um, that one gets ringing in the ears and then it just goes away again? you know why does it happen yeah
1: yeah i think this is very common and um i, I, I in fact get this from time to time not just because i've been listening to loud music but that's one cause one form of ringing in the ears is tinnitus and that usually once you've got that it doesn't completely go away although if you have an exposure to a, a, a loud noise it might be an explosion a gun going off it might be a car crash it might be some loud music it does temporarily produce a deafening effect and a ringing in your ears sometimes you'll get just this spontaneous abrupt onset of of a high-pitched ringing which lasts for a very short time goes away now the reason this happens is because inside your ear in the inner ear this is the cochlea named after the fact that it looks like a snail This is the organ of hearing. It's where the vibrations that are sound waves are converted into waves of neural activity, electrical pulses that are transmitted onto the brain. And the cochlea does a lot of tuning and interesting neurological manipulations of its own before it sends the information centrally into your brain. And in fact, the cochlea makes noise of its own because it receives a nerve supply from the brain enabled to tune the cochlea and when we get these funny sounds in our in our ears that come from nowhere sometimes that's caused by the cochlear tuning effect and and it causes it to amplify artificially some sounds that are either there at very low levels or it makes itself and you experience them hear them for a short while and and then it resets the system so to answer your question briefly in some cases it's because you've been exposed to very loud noises you've dampen down the ability of the hearing system to hear certain frequencies and the brain then over amplifies to compensate for a short while and that's tinnitus in other cases it's because of input to the cochlea trying to tune up the cochlea generating spurious noise signals which you experience as a sound as so though it's really there even though it isn't and you hear that for a short while until the system resets
2: well there we go gizla thank you very much for asking that question you. you must have thank a wonderful you. weekend eh? There we go. Thank you. That's like out in Valchamut this morning. Chris, thank you very much for joining Pleasure, us. Mate. I trust you're going to have a wonderful weekend.
1: I'm going to try my best, and I trust uh, you will too.
2: Oh, I will. It's so-called uh, Netflix. <laughs> 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 for, for most of it. Thank you very much. <laughs> Take care then. Bye, well, Kino. Look forward to next week. Cheers, Chris.